Let us pray. Oh God, long expected Jesus, we wait. Help speak your life into our waiting this Advent season in song, in scripture, in sermon, in silence, in prayer, in laughter. Amen. Well, it's the first Sunday of Advent, as I told the kids, and what does that even mean? And with Advent, like I told them, is about waiting for something important. The word Advent just means coming or arrival. And we're waiting for Jesus in many ways to arrive. Actually, we're waiting in Advent for two things at the same time. We're waiting for Jesus uh, to come back and fix everything that's wrong with the world. And there's a lot to fix. And we're waiting to celebrate Christmas and the baby Jesus. The second coming of Jesus is a little bit creepy at times, hard to understand, and most of us don't mind waiting a little bit for that, right, if we're honest. But it's hard to wait for Christmas. Y'all remember? I know I do. And when I was a kid, it seemed like forever between now and Christmas. I could not wait. I'd made my little calendar. I'd count it down because I knew what was going to happen on Christmas morning. Magically, there would be some incredibly awesome things laid out first thing in the morning. My mom and my dad would tell me and Liz and Katie, would you please wait until 6 to go downstairs? I couldn't wait. I was so excited. One time, I went down there at about 3 a.m. with my little flashlight and took a little took a little gander at everything, and they couldn't figure out why I slept late that particular Christmas. I sort of got busted that year. I think I got in some trouble. Um, but I just remember how excited I was thinking about what was going to happen, that I knew it was going to be about love and laughter. Sometimes, one time we, we went and got in a station wagon and drove to Orlando. You know, it was a trip that year on Christmas Day 1975. The waiting, um, the waiting was about to be, uh, well, I didn't understand, let me just, I'm stuttering here, but I'll get to it in a second. I didn't understand how big of a deal it was until we had Susanna and Tripp, you know. And I do remember one Christmas morning, like one eye open and one eye closed, and I wake up pretty early and I could sense two little creatures breathing right there at the edge of the bed. Because Susanna and Tripp couldn't wait to get downstairs. Things get more complicated when you grow older. Christmas starts to get here a lot faster when you get older, if you haven't noticed. And uh, it's more complicated than when we were little. As mature Christians... We're called to get our hearts ready for Christmas in different ways. It's not about just about shopping lists. We're asked to stop rushing around, making lists and buying gifts, and ponder the wonder of God coming to earth as a human child. We've got to stop for a little bit and ponder it and, and wade in those holy waters. And it has to be intentional. It's why the church gives you all these ways to slow down. We're being 
ask to make room for the Christ child in our lives. But Advent is also getting ready to meet the grown-up Jesus, not just the 8.2 baby, pound baby Jesus, right? We will see him when he comes again and the world as we know it passes away or when he die, when we die, and our lives as we know it passes away. It's certainly coming one way or another. Advent is about being ready for whatever is coming and not knowing when it will be. And that's tough. We're waiting for the time that Isaiah promised where swords were really are really pounded into plowshares because wars will be one day a thing of the past. We're waiting for a time when the lion will lie down with the lamb and the lamb will not be afraid. We're waiting for a time when people stop hating each other and demonizing those who are different from them across borders and even across living room tables. Waiting for people to stop fighting each other. But waiting is hard. The early Christians also really struggled with all this waiting. St. Matthew, the, the gospel that Case read today, was most likely written um, in the early 80s of the first century, about 50 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And like most early Christian communities, Matthew's congregation had been expecting Jesus to return right away. He's coming soon. Get ready. And some scholars think, and I agree with him, that the Gospels were written about 50 years after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to encourage those Christians who were confused and discouraged about Jesus' delayed return. The cemetery is filling up out back. Where, oh where, is the promise of his coming? And for this reason, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three, devote a section of their gospel uh, exhorting this congregation to stay awake, keep prepared, and wait with anticipation of Jesus' return. Don't fall asleep. If they aren't watching and waiting, Matthew suggests, they just might miss Jesus' coming or they may not be ready the trouble of course is that 2,000 years later we're still waiting we're still waiting for the world to heal and be restored as what God meant it to be not as it is and we've been waiting an awfully long time so long in fact that most people aren't waiting anymore many Christians just are not waiting They've given up waiting for Jesus or expecting something great to happen. They've gotten cynical and gotten trapped in a cynical world. I mean, really, we can't even wait for Christmas music until November 1st, right? That's when the radio station starts playing it. How do we expect our us to keep waiting 2,000 years after Jesus' life on earth? It's hard, but... We're being told to wait. That's the key word I want you to know. It's, 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 it's wait. We're being reminded to stay awake and not fall asleep. No one, says Jesus at the beginning of the passage, knows when the Lord will come. The angels don't know. Jesus himself does not even know. And then Jesus throws us a zinger, the Noah story, 
you thought it was meant for children, but it's not. It's scary to me. Um, there's a flood, and it's pretty much the end of the world for most people, except for those that got on the ark. They didn't know it was coming, and they perished a watery death, says Jesus. The end is coming like a thief in the night, and you need to stay awake, says Jesus. At the end of the passage, Jesus repeats that the Son of Man will come at an unexpected hour. It is so hard for my mind to think about meeting Jesus. Although it's a good thing, it means life as you've always known it is over, is what it means. We will meet Jesus when he comes back to rule under, over heaven and earth. Or we will meet him before that when we breathe our last. Either way, we don't know when that'll be. Staying awake means being ready. It means living your life in such a way that you are not afraid of the end, no matter what the end looks like. Staying awake means living in a way that leaves you unafraid to face Christ one day. Now, part of my job is that I do funerals. Ah, what they say, Mary and Barry, right? Monday, we'll be celebrating a wonderful life. Oftentimes, funerals, doing so many funerals, kind of, I know this sounds morbid, but it kind of makes me think about my own death. And uh, not too long ago, uh, as I did a funeral a couple years ago, um, as I was reminded yet again doing this funeral that our days are not unlimited on this earth, I remember doing one for a nice woman, a funeral, and a group of her friends were talking about their own funeral. Y'all ever done that? They were glad that she died in her own bed, in her home with people who loved her. And I said, a lot of them said the same thing. That's kind of how I want to go. I want to be 108 and die in my sleep. Have you ever said that? What followed was a kind of morbid discussion about how people involved would like to go. And everyone in the conversation agreed that's kind of how they wanted to die peacefully in their sleep without a long illness and just not see it coming uh, to maybe die in your sleep like she did. The problem is that with a sudden death, you don't get to say goodbye to people. You don't get to make amends if you are not on good terms with somebody you love. Thinking about that is important. You don't get to choose how you die or when Jesus comes back. So really the only solution, says Jesus, is to be ready right now. In Tuesdays with Maury, a book written about 30 years ago, Mitch, this incredibly, incredibly, uh, this sage. Well, Mitch was the, uh, actually a national, nationally renowned sports writer, and he meets every Tuesday with a guy named Maury, who begins telling him all kinds of things that Mitch is like, i got to write this down. Here's a conversation that he had with Maury on one Tuesday when he met him. And Mitch was, uh, uh, Maury was dying. Mitch, can I tell you something? He said, you might not like it. But there is a birdie on your shoulder. And that birdie whispers in your ear every day. Mitch, is this the day? Is this your last day? Is this the day? 
Well, the truth is, is if you really listen to that bird on your shoulder, if you accept that you can die at any time, then you might not be as ambitious as you are. The things you spend so much time on, all this work you do, might not seem as important. You might have to make room for some more spiritual things. Maury goes on to say this. Most of us walk around us as if we are sleepwalking. We really don't experience the world fully because we're half asleep doing things we automatically think we have to do. And facing death changes all that, says Mitch. Oh, yes. You strip away all that stuff and you focus on the essentials. When you realize you're going to die, you see everything much differently. Learn how to die, says Maury, and you learn how to live. Here's the relief around the end. Here's the, where's the good news, Bruce? Because here's the good news. Christ doesn't expect you to know everything or really anything about your end or even about Christ's return. He only expects us to respond and do something. You don't have to know everything and you don't have to do everything. Just be careful what something you're doing and do that well. Do today with a life of work and a spirit of wakefulness. Focus on the present day, the needs of this hour. Live differently in the field, at the mill, where real, ordinary life is lived. Do whatever you do in a spirit of wakefulness and watchfulness. Do what you can in a spirit of hope and trust. That will be enough, and you will be ready. Years ago, at Court Street, United Methodist in downtown Hattiesburg. That church was just wild. It was an amazing church. God, a little slice of God's kingdom. And we had one beautiful, incredible young, young boy, and we still keep up with him. His name is Hoy with Down syndrome. And when we brought up the collection, Hoy would dance in the aisles as we sang the doxology. And you know what hoy is in Spanish. What is it, Hunter? It's today. And I think about hoy dancing and joyous. And I hope every day I can be more like hoy. When I grow up, I want to be hoy. You see, the only solution is today, hoy, Say you're sorry when you hurt someone and do yourself best to make it right. Today, hoy, make your corner of the world a little bit better. Look a little bit more like God's love and grace. Because you are not guaranteed another chance. You might get tomorrow, you might get a thousand tomorrows, but you might not. You, this could be your only day to make the world a more godly place. We had better stay awake. Let's be like Hoy. Tell me if this sounds a little bit like your story growing up. It may not be. Everybody's story is different. We all have these great like origin families that we grew up in, terrible struggles, but also some, some pockets of surprise and joy as well. Um, 
When I was growing up, it was my mom who was in charge of saying, I love you. It was my mom who gave the hugs and kisses and told me everything was going to be okay. If you needed a shoulder to cry on or a listening ear, you went to her in my family growing up. If you needed money to go to a movie or if you needed the tire changed in your car, you'd go to dad. Now, my dad did not say I love you often at all when I was a child. But he loved us. He loved my sisters and me, but he didn't say it. He showed it by taking an interest in our homework or by bragging on us to our grandparent or to someone at church. We knew he loved us, but I started to pick up that he couldn't say it. In 1989, Spring break of my freshman year at State, he got slotted out of the Air National Guard and could no longer fly C-130s. He missed his buddies. The bottom dropped out of the economy and he couldn't sell a house. And that day I'd never seen, that year I'd never seen my dad as vulnerable as I saw him. So it was off to find a job. And we all know that like that silent generation, he was born in 43. You just put the food on the table and you figured out how to do it. And so spring break, my freshman year, we drove down to Florida so he could interview for a job and get trained to sell, I don't know, restaurant equipment. I can't remember. But it was 10 hours one way on the road and 10 hours back, just me and my dad. And then when I... Before I got all my stuff back, Dad gave me a big hug, and he took a deep breath, and he said, I love you. And I didn't turn on the radio back to Starville. I was sort of stunned when I heard that. It's not that I didn't think my dad loved me. It's one thing to pretty much know that. It's another thing to hear your dad say it. And now, we're like a couple of goofballs. Like, every time I call him, I don't care if what it is. Every conversation ends with, I love you. Now, I don't know why my dad said it. But I wonder if he thought to himself, I'm in my 40s. And I'm not having a good season in life. And I appreciate my son going with me to Orlando, Florida to interview for a job. And I better say it now so that he'll never have to guess. None of us is going to live forever. None of us knows when Jesus is going to come back. Kind of sounds like a threat when Jesus says, The end will come like a thief in the night. So you had better wake up. Sort of sounds scary. It might be a threat, but you know what? I think it's a promise. I think it's a promise to you and to me, just like Christmas Day is coming as a promise. Just like the first day of vacation, if you can stick it out, is a promise. Just like one day you're going to find your true love, promise. So wake up. Stop waiting to live a life full of love and hope. 
I don't know how many days you got, but I know you've got today. Wake up, because you have no idea the blessings and wonder this very day will hold if you live deeply into it. I don't know how many days we have left, but we got today. We've got hoy. It's a good day to do something spectacular, weird, outside the box, something loving and generous in the name of your God who loves you and who has given you this day. Even the angels don't know how many days we will get, but we know that we'd better stay awake and not miss any of them. The day is coming. Make today your day. Let us pray. God of today and every day, we know our days are numbered. And because of your great love, that does not make us fearful. It makes us hopeful. Help us to dare to love like today is our last day. So that no matter when that day comes, we will be ready. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. I invite us to stand as we sing our closing hymn. It's on page 206 in your hymnal. I want to walk as a child of the light. want to walk as a child of the light. I want to follow Jesus. I God.